0: Good morning. Good morning. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for a new day and a place where we can come together free from distraction and we can set it all aside just for a few moments, Lord, so that we can hear from you in your word, and that your Holy Spirit would open up our hearts and our minds and that they would be soft like a sponge to soak up what you have for us. Lord, I ask that everything I say and everything we think about um, would be true and would glorify you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So, quick question for you to think about, why are we here? Now, I don't mean here in this building or in this town. I mean, why do we exist What's it all about? So just a little light thinking for the morning. Um, Believe it or not, life does have purpose. There's a reason we are where we are. And there's a point to every joy and struggle that we face in life. God doesn't waste anything. He has a plan. He's advancing history. And little by little, he's rolling out that plan. And all along the way, God is positioning us. And he is priming us to fulfill our purpose. Now, here you go. Are you ready? Our purpose is twofold. This is why we're here. This is what the Bible says. We exist, number one, to enjoy God, to just love him and enjoy him and know him and be in relationship with him. The Bible calls that fellowship. So we exist to enjoy God. That's the first reason we're here. And the second reason is to point other people to him. We're here to highlight God. And the word the Bible uses for that a lot is to glorify him. To shine the spotlight on him so people can know him and love him and enjoy fellowship with him too. So, that's it. We're here to enjoy God and to point people to God. It all boils down to that. So this morning, we're going to look in the book of Acts in the Bible where one particular person literally had his eyes open to that truth of what life's all about. So, I hope you brought your Bibles with you to worship this morning. But even if you didn't, there are some on the ends of the pews. Um, the uh, ushers, we found a whole row of them back there in the foyer. So, um, if you need one, just let us know and we'll get you one. Uh, you can share with your neighbors. Or you can just click open your Bible app. You can Google Bible and it'll come up. Um, But want every eye in the room on God's word this morning. Okay, so open up all those Bibles to Acts chapter 9. So if you need some help there, just go to the New Testament. It's just past the middle. Go to the New Testament, turn past Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the next book is Acts. Find the giant number 9, and you are set. You are right where you need to be. You got it. So Acts chapter 9. Now, let's just take a minute to set the scene. The scene, what was going on about the time of Acts chapter 9? At that time in history, Jesus had already um, offered three years of ministry, right, all around um, the area of Judea and Galilee and Samaria and in that area. And he died on the cross and he had risen from the dead and he had appeared to hundreds of people, including the apostles. And After about 40 days, he ascended back to heaven to God the Father. And just like Jesus promised, God had sent the Holy Spirit to earth to live inside, to indwell the hearts and the minds of all the people who believed that Jesus is who he says he is. And when that happened, when the Holy Spirit came, um, the first people to receive him were the apostles and the believers, and that happened in Jerusalem at what we call Pentecost, and we've talked about that before um, here in church. When Pentecost happened and the Holy Spirit came, the church was born, the church with a capital C, all the believers together, that's when it started, when the Holy Spirit came. So, when that happened, immediately, when the church began, the enemies of Jesus Became the enemies of the church. And the apostles and the other believers were continually pressed to shut up. To abandon their purpose and to stop sharing the story of Jesus. But they refused. So sometimes that pressure turned violent. And that was the case in Acts chapter 7. That violence was focused in on a man named Stephen. Now, the Bible says that Stephen was full of God's grace and faith, and he had power from God because you know why? The Holy Spirit filled up Stephen. Um, he believed in Jesus. Stephen understood the true purpose of his life, but he was martyred. He was brutally killed because he boldly And he graciously spoke the good news about Jesus. He told people that God had sent Jesus to pay for their sins. And that when he died, he paid that debt. And when he rose again, he made it possible for everybody to live eternally with him if they'll receive that gift of payment of sins that he's offering. He told people that boldly but graciously, but they didn't want to hear it. They just wanted him to be quiet. So those same Jewish leaders who insisted that Jesus die on the cross, well, they took it upon themselves to silence Stephen by killing him too. And he was stoned. And that's where this story begins. Okay, so that sets the scene. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, if you look at that real quickly, you'll see that um, that verse emphasizes one young man who observed Stephen's death. Do you see that in Acts chapter 8, verse 1? That man was Saul. Okay. Saul um, was there when Stephen died. In fact, the Bible says that the witnesses to Stephen's murder laid their coats at Saul's feet as he was zealously approving of the Jewish leader's killing of Stephen. So he was totally on board for it as he watched. And after that happened, after Stephen was killed, this great persecution broke out all through Jerusalem so that anyone who was aligned with Jesus was threatened. So you can imagine that a lot of those believers took off. They scattered, and Saul lashed out. This Saul, who had approved of Stephen's killing, he lashed out. And he was going around trying to lock up as many followers of Jesus as he could find. So Saul had a plan. He thought he knew exactly what he was supposed to do. The Bible tells us quite a bit about Saul's life. Saul was born into a Jewish family, but that family lived outside the area of Judea in a Roman town called Tarsus. Saul was from Tarsus. And as he grew up, later on, um, he came to Jerusalem where he was highly educated. Okay, so he's from a Jewish family, and he's highly educated. In fact, Saul's teacher was the renowned Gamaliel. That was his name, Gamaliel. He was a respected leader of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin, the people who had condemned Jesus. Okay? And like Gamaliel, Saul was a Pharisee. Jesus talked about the Pharisees, right? He talked to them, and he talked about them. So if Saul was a Pharisee, that means that he was diligently studying the Old Testament, which was all they had at the time. And he was devout in keeping God's law, and he was strict in upholding and enforcing all the hundreds of Jewish traditions. Okay? In the Jewish community, within that community, Saul expected to have a bright future, we can assume. We can bet that um, he planned to serve as a leader. In fact, later on, he called himself from that part of his life. He said he was a Hebrew among Hebrews, right? So he was all about being Jewish and following every strict rule. Saul was proud of where he'd come from, and all he had accomplished, and what he knew, and who, with whom he was associated. He was filled with pride and pretty impressed with himself. But Saul, like most of the people in his culture at that time, did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, Of course, he knew that God had promised a Messiah because he was an expert in the Old Testament, but he didn't believe that Jesus fulfilled that role. In fact, Saul considered Jesus' followers to be blasphemers. He thought that they were religious criminals and that they showed contempt for God by believing and preaching that Jesus is God's son. So Saul thought the best way um, to demonstrate his devotion to God was to eradicate anyone who professed allegiance to Jesus. And Saul was passionate in his effort to wipe out the church from the very start. That was really his goal in life. So merely rounding up believers in Jerusalem failed to satisfy his objective. He sought to widen his reach beyond Jerusalem's border. That brings us then to the very start of chapter 9. That's where we find out about Saul's murderous plan. In Verses 1 and 2, we see that Saul continued to be relentless in his rampage. He acquired authority from the high priest in Jerusalem to search the synagogues in Damascus, which was a town like 150 miles away or close to it. Saul wanted permission to take prisoner there anyone who claimed loyalty to Jesus. He just did not want this church thing growing at all. So Saul, along with a few other men, set out on this two-week walking journey to get to Damascus. But along the way, God's plan intersected Saul's plan. And God intervened to get Saul's attention, and to set him straight. And God did it in a very dramatic fashion. Completely out of the blue, in verse 3, completely out of the blue, while on that road to Damascus, a heavenly light flashed all around Saul. It flattened him, knocked him to the ground, and then, just as unexpectedly, this questioning voice penetrated Saul's mind and Saul's heart. Let's look at verse 4. You know, some of you are going to notice in your Bibles there are some words there in verse 4 that are in red. What do red words mean in the Bible? Jesus said it, but he died. And he rose risen from the grave and he'd ascended into heaven. But he had an interac- interaction directly with Saul. So let's read this. Um, chapter 9, verse 4. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Can't you see it? Saul huddled on the ground, um, just trembling from head to toe confused as he goes on to ask who are you lord so he he asked his question with a show of respect didn't he he called him lord and then the answer in verse five look at that i am jesus whom you are persecuting i am jesus now that's an introduction Is it not? That is an introduction. That will get your attention. In an instant, Saul realized how very, very wrong he had been. Though he died on the cross, Jesus was alive. He was talking to him. And those words in red remind us this was not a second-hand story. This is jesus christ the risen lord speaking directly to saul and the resurrection wasn't a farce as the sanhedrin tried to get people to believe instead of protecting god's law saul's actions against the believers had been a direct attack upon god's son because jesus said why are you persecuting me so, everything saw the Pharisee, the expert in the law, the student of Gamaliel, the Hebrew among Hebrews, everything he knew about the Messiah, and everything he knew about most of his life, was upended in an instant. And those guys who were traveling with him, they didn't know what was going on. They kind of saw some of the light and they heard a noise, but they didn't have um, the clarity that Saul did. So Saul stood up, blinded, and humbled by the heavenly encounter he'd just had with Jesus Christ. And though he was gaining spiritual clarity, he remained unable to physically see or eat, or drink, as he pondered that situation over the next three days in Damascus. Can you imagine Saul's thoughts during that three-day period? He studied God's word nearly all his life. He knew a lot about God, but he never really knew God until that moment on the Damascus road. And Saul had pursued stopping Jesus' story until Jesus stopped him in his tracks. And in Jerusalem, Saul could see his future taking shape, right? He probably knew what he thought was going to happen with his life. But in Damascus... He couldn't even see his hand in front of his face. Saul's plan had dissolved the moment that bright light flashed. And God's plan to bring true purpose into Saul's life was just beginning to be revealed. Meanwhile, we're up to verse 10 in chapter 9. So look at that for a minute. All this is happening with Saul, and meanwhile, God was preparing another man for a very different meeting. Ananias was his name. And Ananias was a dedicated follower of Jesus in Damascus. He lived there. And he received his own personal call from the Lord. Look there, um... In verse, what, 10, 11, there are more words in red, right? So Ananias receives his word from the Lord. And God told him, told Ananias to go to a specific house on a specific street and talk with a specific man, Saul. And God said to Ananias that Saul would be praying And that Saul had received a vision from God, so he would be expecting Ananias to come and restore Saul's sight. So it would be wonderfully amazing to receive clear instructions like that from the Lord, wouldn't it? Go to this place and this town and meet with that guy and say this and do that. Yes, Lord, I'll do it. (laughs) But that's not usually how life is. But for Ananias, it was. But you know what? Ananias had heard about Saul. He had an infamous reputation among believers, didn't he? And so Ananias was not all that excited to approach Saul, even if he was blind. Oftentimes, it is scary to follow the path God lays out before us. But the Lord emphatically repeated to Ananias, go. Exclamation, exclamation point. So God told Ananias that Saul was chosen and that he was going to be God's instrument to the Gentiles, to the people who are not Jewish, and that he was going to proclaim God's name and to suffer for it. So Ananias obeyed. And I bet in his humanness there was still a bit of apprehension as he entered the house and placed a hand on Saul's shoulder. But we get a peek into Ananias' heart as he addressed Saul. So look at verses 17 and on in chapter 9. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. That's what Ananias did. Ananias allowed God to break down the barriers in his heart. Saul was his brother in Christ, and the gift of the Holy Spirit belonged to Saul as much as any other believer, including Ananias. Ananias trusted God's plan over his own. He had a relationship with God where he could be honest about his fears, yet obedient um, to what seemed like this outrageous command from God. It seems that Ananias knew that to really know God is to wholeheartedly love him. And to love God is to want that same joy for others. Ananias got it. He knew the purpose of life. He understood that his purpose was to enjoy a personal relationship with God and to come alongside others, whoever God called, to come alongside them and point them to God so that they could know and love and obey God too. So through Ananias' willingness to follow God's command, Saul's eyes and his heart were opened. So with that same zealous personality, Saul's adventure with the Lord commenced. It took off. Saul went through an amazingly inspired, Holy Spirit-empowered transformation. It transformed the focus and the purpose for Saul's life. Look in verse 20. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, some of the other books in the Bible explain to us that Saul did have some training and education and some years with the Lord where he was gaining an understanding of what faith is so that he could share it in a way that would be well-received by the people who would hear it. But he wasted no time. First, Saul proclaimed Jesus right there in Damascus. And those Jewish audiences where he went in those synagogues, they were confused. (laughs) And they were um, expecting just the opposite from him. They knew that he had come to town to round up believers, and now he was one of them. And he was telling them all about Jesus. His arguments proving Jesus as, as the Messiah baffled They baffled those um, Jewish people there, and that led to a a conspiracy to kill him, to silence him. So then Saul was the hunted prey, and the believers in Damascus aided Saul by helping him escape. They lowered him in a basket through a hole in the city wall. I just wondered if Ananias had anything to do with that. So then in verse 26, we find out that when he left Damascus, eventually he makes his way to Jerusalem. And when he gets there, the believers don't believe him. The apostles aren't sure about him. They're wondering, what's this all about? We know who Saul is. What's happened here? But another believer named Barnabas, who we read a lot about in the New Testament, Barnabas stood up for Saul. He vouched for him. And he helped the apostles believe that Saul's conversion and faith were authentic. So with the support of the apostles, Saul began to debate for the sake of Jesus in Jerusalem. And like before, an attempt was made on his life. But again, the believers rallied to help him. Um, flee. First he fled to Caesarea and then on to Tarsus, his hometown. And you know what happened along the way? Saul began to look at himself differently. He started to refer to himself as Paul. Paul. Saul was a Hebrew reminder of royalty because Israel's first king was named Saul. So that was kind of a lofty name. Paul is a Roman name that means small or little. Maybe that's what happened to Paul's inflated ego. He realized following God wasn't about following rules. And life meant more than acquiring knowledge or notoriety. Paul came to desire to glorify or highlight God instead of himself. And it is astounding to consider what God did in Paul's life, the transformation that occurred in his heart and in the direction of his life. God gave Paul the gift of serving him, of being part of God's plan. And it was not easy. Paul faced unimaginable hardship as he traveled throughout Asia Minor sharing the story of Jesus. So I just want to, just for a minute, I want to give you some picture, some idea, some taste of what Paul went through to obey the Lord's command, to share Jesus' story with the Gentiles. If you go to 2 Corinthians, just um, keep turning towards the back, a few more pages. Um, In chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, I'm going to start with verse 24. This is Paul talking about himself. Five times in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled, and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak, and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast... I will boast of the things that show my weakness. And then if you look in chapter 12, this is how he wraps this up. But he said to me, and these words are in red, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Jesus told that to Paul. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. He was a different guy after his interaction with Jesus. That is a very rough road that God paved for Paul. And Paul faced it not in spite of his faith, but because of it. Because Paul's was a life filled with purpose and meaning that would make a difference in countless lives, including yours, because you're hearing about it today and mine. God saved and empowered Paul, Saul, better known as Paul, um, to live his purpose. And to proclaim Jesus. And he does the same for us. So here come the questions. How is God transforming you? He is. Or you wouldn't be here this morning. Does God have your attention yet? What's happened in your life? Where has God intervened to get your attention? Is your spiritual clarity... Coming into view. Through Paul, God shows us that we are far from perfect. But God loves us anyway. And He's willing to intervene in our lives regardless of our background, regardless of our previous pursuits. In fact, that's what God is doing right now in the lives of all of us sitting in this room and listening to God's word. He's showing us who he is. And he's showing us who we are. And he's proving how desperately we need to be saved from our sinful selves. So what are we going to do now that we know which way to go? Because God's made it clear. Do you truly believe that no plan That you design for yourself will satisfy you like the custom made plan God set in motion for you before the creation of the world. There's nothing you can plan for yourself that's gonna fulfill you like the plan He has for you. Maybe you're just too scared to step out in faith, to trust Him. You know what? Paul and Ananias show us that it's okay to bring those apprehensions to the Lord. It's good to be honest with him and to question what it is he means and what he really wants us to do. And is he sure that he really wants us to do what he says he wants us to do? But when God says go, it's time to trust him. And we need to remember, don't forget, he's going to go before us to position all the provisions we're going to need. He was talking to Ananias when Paul was having that experience, right? And he's going to be with us step by step as we stand up to shine the spotlight on Jesus. And he's going to have our backs. He's going to make a way for us to withstand the pressures that will result from being obedient to his call. So, God reveals himself to us in his word. Are we going to make time for that this week? What are we going to sacrifice this week so that we can have some minutes in the Bible? Maybe you want to read something else that this persecutor turned preacher wrote well has god got a deal for you because most of the rest of the new testament was written by paul almost all of it after the book of acts which was written by luke almost all the rest of the new testament was written by paul he wrote romans first and second corinthians galatians ephesians philippians colossians first and second thessalonians first and second timothy titus philemon take your pick Those are letters that Paul wrote to various churches and various people, encouraging them and pointing them to God. And you know what? God not only reveals himself, he also reveals his plan for us. He really does. If we're watching for it, little by little, he's rolling it out. He opens and closes doors in our lives to position us right where he wants us to be. He does that for you, and he does it for me, just like he did Ananias and Paul. And as we follow him, God saves you and me from the wrong direction that we thought was right. When God reaches into our lives, we come to realize that life has purpose. And it has meaning. You know why? Because Jesus is at the center of it. And if you look into the center of your life, and anything other than Jesus is your priority, then you need a conversation with the Lord. That's all. A conversation with the Lord. To be made right with him. If you're more focused on or impressed with yourself than you are with Jesus, then that's a Saul issue. And God can handle it. He can take that conversation. So, Saul wasn't beyond God's reach. Saul, the guy who was out there killing Christians, he was not beyond God's reach. Neither are any of us. Today can be our Damascus Road experience. Today can be that day. So here's my prayer. I pray that you can't stop thinking about Saul all week long. That you see that Damascus road and you think to yourself, if God can intervene in that guy's life, then he can handle mine. And if Jesus can speak words of red into Saul's life, then he can speak into mine. We need to keep thinking about what Jesus did. We need to remember that he thought we were worth dying for. Jesus thought that. Jesus knew what mattered. Do we? Today, what first step are you and I going to take on the road to enjoying God and to pointing people to God? Let me tell you, it's going to be a rough journey. It is not going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it, no doubt. So may our lives proclaim the glory and the grace of Jesus as we share his story. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for including the story of Saul's conversion in your word. Thank you for showing us that you're not out there looking for perfect people to do your work. You don't have any. We're just looking for willing people. Lord, help us be willing. Help us to trust you. Help us to believe you enough to obey you. Help us to remember what Jesus did and to forever be grateful for what he gave. In Jesus' name.